Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi there, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. This week, I'm speaking with Dan Hasler, who is the Director of Cut Through Coaching and Consulting. He works with athletes, coaches, leaders, and educators to focus on creating happier, healthier, and higher performance. He has a background in teaching, and if you read his LinkedIn profile and even um, the bio in his book, you'll find that before moving to Australia, he was once identified on national TV as the UK's worst housemate. I have so many questions. <laughs> Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the invitation, Shelley. Looking forward to it. Obviously, I have to ask about how someone manages to get named UK's worst housemate. Yeah. So um, it was back when I was at university and uh, me and my housemates were sitting around in an afternoon after, after studying, of course. And um, there was, a, there was a, a show on which is, was kind of like the English equivalent of like Jerry Springer or Ricky Lake, that kind of era. And um, they put a call out at the end of the show saying, we're looking for the UK's worst housemate. Do you know them? And my mates all looked at me at the same time and said, we're, we're definitely calling up. <laughs> you know, we're definitely nominating you. And um, yeah, basically, uh, they had a whole heap of people on whose housemates had nominated. And I ended up with the official title, you know, the banner and all the audience are booing and it was a bit of a G up to be honest, but uh, but it was good fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that would boost confidence at all. Ah, oh, it was it was quite funny because it was just a, it was a bit of an act to be fair. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, that's fabulous. Yeah, that's quite the quite the banner. Um, so you, I, I was stalking you through LinkedIn and sort of looking at where you'd come from because um, I'm always interested in people's journeys. But you started your career as a teacher. Yep. Tell us about that. How did you get into teaching? How did it get you to where you are now? Yeah, so um, I graduated as a teacher in 99 um, in Liverpool in the UK and promptly got a job uh, teaching PE in the biggest inner city school in the UK um, in in Manchester. And there was significant social challenges and, and, and issues at that school. And I mean, it was a, you know, a great time looking back really, you know, collegial and even some of the students who I taught there still hit me up occasionally on Facebook or whatever and, and, and reminisce. And, but it, um, I, I taught there for a while and I, I then moved to Australia because my, my wife is Australian and, and she was over living in Manchester, I think at that point. And um, we moved back and I got a job working here uh, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. So polar opposites in every aspect, um, both, you know, in, in sort of a personal life, you know, the other side of the world, and in a professional sense in that there, there was no similarities between working in Manchester and working in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. And what happened at that school in, in Sydney was um, I was sort of tasked with looking at well-being and... and mm. um, looking at issues around positive psychology and, and how we might 
embed that for our students and, and the wider community and teachers. And, and in 2010, off the back of that work, I got a scholarship um, off the New South Wales government to look at it um, in more depth and share my findings more broadly with the education community. And that basically was kind of like the small start of the, the, the snowball to what's happened now, which um, so I would, I would be speaking at an event or I'd be writing for you know, Sydney Morning Herald or something. And, and people would latch on to what I'd been saying or what I've been writing and would invite me to then go and share that with their people and their people. And mm-hmm. there'd be someone in that audience who'd take it somewhere else. And, um, and, and so in about, well, 2013 I left teaching full-time and set up what we do now and what we do now um, has sort of continued to snowball from there so now we we still do a lot in education because I and all my team are uh, former educators or in fact one of our team members is still a current teacher who who also does some part-time work with us um but so we do a lot in education but we do a lot in uh, the corporate world and we're doing a lot in sport and it's quite interesting because a lot of the time people will say yeah but you know schools aren't like businesses or uh, businesses aren't like an NRL football team and my response is always yeah you're right but people are like people and and when we're talking about motivation mindset authentic engagement what it means to lead others what it means to get buy-in what it means to change things Mm -hmm. there are some fundamental principles which of course look and sound different in different types of organizations but the thing between me and you, you know, that human to human connection, that's pretty constant. And mm. so I think um, what's been interesting is actually to be able to share the learnings from other domains. Once people get past that hurdle and go, what are we going to learn from an NRL football team? Or what's an NRL football team going to learn from a school? Mm. Um, well, actually quite a lot <laughs> once you get over that hurdle, because there's a lot of synergies that um, and, and different perspectives as well, you know, um, that we mm. can bring in. So, yeah, so it's quite interesting. And in fact, um, having a, a broad experience across different industries and domains uh, helps to, I think, would help with creativity and being able to see where opportunities exist in different ways. Um, For sure. And, and, be, and, and it, you know, by seeing, by getting more perspectives, you're able to challenge your biases. You know, there are things that happen in organisations or institutions or even in you know, whole professions or whole domains that just happen because, well, they always have, and that's just the way we do things, which, you know, I still feel that that's so much of a cliche that nobody really thinks or says that, but then you go into someone and say, why do you do that? Oh, we always have. People literally look at me and say that, and it's like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> All right, do you want to dig into that, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's uh, by having more perspective, we're able to break down those biases, which are often just, you know so unconscious it's it's Mm. not be an issue the other thing I like about that is that a lot of leaders really I mean if you look at the natural trajectory or progression of leaders they come from being individual contributors where they're usually um, experts in their field and so when they step into that leadership space they really struggle to let go and and what I like about having that breadth of experience is it isn't about content it's about context it's about being able to see the structure of how to lead as opposed to understanding the um, ins and outs or the subject matter per se. Yeah. So it also, I would imagine, would bring a different level of um, being able to lead effectively. 
Mm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that, so that's one of the things which people are like people. So every domain, typically you get promoted because of your competence at the, at the job. And, and maybe you're, you know, you're, you're, you're nice, right? You're and, nice. and you, you know, you sort of, t- and, and, you know, you tick the boxes and you do the right things. You don't piss anyone off and, and, and you're good and you're nice. So you get promoted and you've been there a while. You get promoted. And, and what's common um, in, in every domain that I've seen is that people don't realize that as soon as they get promoted, they're no longer responsible for that particular job anymore. You know, they're responsible for creating the conditions for others to do that job. And because they're good at what they used to do, they find it really hard to manage people. And I'm, obviously this is a huge generalization, but generally speaking, people find it hard to manage people who aren't as good as they are because they don't get it and or, or they don't appear to care as much as they care or they don't put as much time in after hours as they do or and 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 this is then compounded by the fact that they feel as now the new leader that they're being judged by their by, by this so they often will step in or try and micromanage or do the job for people or mm. whatever and it, and it creates this real um problem you know where leaders don't essentially end up leading they, they just end up doing the they, they end up doing the job a lot of the time of, of people they should be doing or or getting yeah. cranky <laughs> or getting cranky with people and, mm. and 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 I don't know you know I don't know if too many places have really um got to grips with leadership development you know like what, what are the skills that we really need here mm. yeah I know I need to delegate yeah I know I'll need to have these different types of conversations yeah I know I need to get buy-in but do they really understand what that means and and and, and how to do it yeah mm. they might go away on a conference but you know I think so I think there's all these different contributing factors which which means that sometimes leaders end up not leading the way that they want to in fact they often end up leading the way that they were led poorly in the past. Yes, exactly. Um, which is a bit of a shame sometimes. Yeah, I see it as being this highly emotional vortex that is um, leads to dependency and reactivity and responsiveness and yeah. really, really hard to get out of. I know yeah. a lot of the leaders that I work with, it's kind of like, um, you know, throwing them a line and helping <laughs> pull them out. Yeah, they're drowning but, in it. But everyone, everyone in that environment is conditioned to that. You know, yeah. they can. People are conditioned to. Oh well, if we don't know, we'll go to the boss and he'll figure it out. Or, you know, if I if I wait long enough, someone will come and do it for me, and or whatever it might be. You know, and mm. um, and then when they try and change that because perhaps they have been to a conference or they've read a book or whatever, they get this pushback and they get this tension and people don't know how to handle it. So they might try something for a week or two or maybe even mm. six months or, you know, a quarter or whatever. And But then after that, it's back to business as usual, which is frustrating. It is really frustrating. One of the things that I um, encourage leaders to do when they do my course or they, you know, have this epiphany with, one of our coaching sessions is to not go back and change things without some type of framing and context and narrative. Is that yeah. an approach that you sort of take as well? It's like, without the story, it's you were one person yesterday and today you're another person. And what happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who yeah. is this leader? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, de- I definitely think um, when you think about the, the narrative and, you know, like, where do you get your sense of self-worth from? Let's just go to, you know, let's go right there straight away. You know, where do you get your sense of self-worth from? And if, if, which is, you know, if, 
it's um, through the accomplishment of tasks and if it's through appearing efficient and if it's through uh, having people going, oh, great job, well done. And if it's, you know, if it's the, if it's that, that's really problematic um, when you become a leader because really, you know, you, that's, everything changes in there. So understanding that, um, you know, you can control so much more the closer you are to the actual product, end result, whatever it is, you've actually got far more control over that than when you take a step back. You know, you're now not responsible for that. You're responsible for creating these conditions for, for the for the rest of these people to rise up and make getting that mental shift and recognizing that. Because how how do you do that then? How do you measure that? Well, how quickly are they working? How quickly are they jumping on to my new idea? And we keep this efficiency mindset as opposed to perhaps an effective mindset. You know, mm-hmm. like what's having more impact, which typically takes more time, and we need to, um, you know, have different, completely different considerations, really. And mm-hmm. if, as you say, if you don't realize that the story's changed, um, then you can then then you see all these negative issues arise, whether it's just the leader bottling everything up inside and, and hating their job in the end of it, or mm. or it plays out with the team and the team feel micromanaged, that it becomes a toxic environment where mm. mistakes aren't tolerated for whatever reasons, you mm. know? And so, yeah, definitely doing that, the, sto- the, the narrative, the story mm. um, is, is, is really useful um, and important work actually. I love your um, differentiation between efficiency and effectiveness because I think that's really the key is to slow down enough to go, does this align? Am I creating confusion? Am I coming across as being ingenuous and um, is what I'm doing no longer aligning with what I'm saying as opposed yeah. to, you know, which is what you're doing with effectiveness is you're sort of yeah. looking at how, to, how is it all coming together and working and I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example from work we do, right? So we often get people, we get, we get a leader often will contact us and they'll say, Hey, can you come in and you, you need to work with my team? You know, my t- you need to, I want my team to be more autonomous or I want my team to be more coach-like or I want this, I want that. And, and my initial reaction is, and you know, I'm sort of giving it away now if anyone's listening to this and then they call me. But my initial reaction is as soon as someone says, hey, I need you to work with that group of people over there, my initial reaction is I'm pretty sure that's right, but I'm wondering what I need to do with the person who's talking to me right now. And, you know, the kind of um, conditions that they're creating, you know, so come and help my leaders be more coach-like. Absolutely can do that. But the the analogy we use is you know so me coming in and helping you be more coach like is we, that's a seed that we're planting right and and we can we can plant anything we want and there'll be some seeds which are better for this garden than others and there are some seeds which are I don't know I'm not really a gardener so it's a, a strange metaphor for me to jump into but you know some seeds are just going to be more suited and they're going to thrive better than other seeds which. So let's say that this is these are good seeds, right? Getting Dan to work with you, that's a good seed, right? But if the soil that we're planting those seeds in is average, or if the commitment to, att- to tend to that seed after I've left is not what it needs to be, or if people are not quite sure, well, what are we planting here versus over in that garden? Or, the, you know, and, and 
so people will say, oh, can you come in, you know, like, can you come in and do an hour's keynote? Well, yes, I can. But my answer is that's the easiest thing for me to do. And it's also the least interesting thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'll do it. But also, you know, what I'm interested in is in effectiveness, in impact, in growth, in learning, mm-hmm. in development. And you can have inspiration. Don't get me wrong. You can have inspiration in, in an hour's keynote. You know, I'm, I'm actually pretty handy at doing that. But the growth and the learning and stuff is that really only what happens afterwards it's, it's a bit like with my book you know people are contacting me oh it's a great read i read it in a weekend brilliant now what <laughs> you know i found it really entertaining fantastic now what <laughs> you know um and and i think again this idea people want that quick fix in it, it virtually everywhere every domain is looking for that silver bullet that 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 thing and I, it fascinates me that, it, you know, when they when they were on the front line, so to speak, you know, um, they would have rolled their eyes at the new big thing that leadership were bringing in. They would have. I think, oh, seriously, another one. All right, keep your head down for six months. There'll be something new in another six months, right? And yet when they get to leadership, a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, people, they forget that. <laughs> and they go, no, 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 you don't understand, Dan. My thing is the thing. <laughs> You know, this is going to change everything. It's like, okay, all right, well, let's see what, how we go there. But if we can take it a little slower, if we can say, well, what does a six-month, 12-month, 18-month approach to this look like? Not necessarily with me. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to hawk for an 18-month gig. What I'm saying is, how does your, how do you start telling that story? Yeah. You know, how do you give it room to breathe? How do we give it time for people to make sense of it for themselves? and give some pushback and you know really play with it before mm. we then say okay let, now let's explore some ways of how we're going to do this new thing mm. um, whereas often what happens is of course the leader spends all the time thinking about it comes in says this is it get on board and then they get cranky when people don't mm. it's about playing the long game that effectiveness mm. is never going to be quick it's never going to and sometimes there are quick fixes that you can mm. implement that can give you that um you know, burst of improvement, but it's yeah. a long game, isn't it? It is. And 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 people get confused because they'll say, but Dan, we don't have time for that. And and I'll say, well, you do have time for that. It's just that currently you're using all that time dealing with the fact that people aren't getting on board. Mm. You, you're using all that time dealing with the difficult conversations. You're dealing with all that time getting frustrated. And, you know, you, you do have time. It's just that perhaps we're choosing it. Uh, we're, we're choosing to use the time in less effective ways you know we're trying to get the inspiration we're trying to get the quick fix and and that feels good in the moment but down the track it's it's uh it it can lead to problems yeah absolutely so your book the act of leadership is a really easy read it's simple it is you could you could absolutely read it in a weekend and go yep got it that's awesome go apply it um and i and i love that about that so i've got some questions about just even just topics of conversation, I'd love to throw around with you about, you know, things that you mentioned in the book. And the first one is around this coaching style of leadership. So how do you see, because it seems that coaching is the most effective way of leading today. It's certainly what I uh, advocate for and and recommend. What Mm. have you seen? You've been doing this for a lot longer. What have you seen in the coaching space and its relevance today Mm. i think number one recognizing that um you know coaching is great for those long you know the long-term 
development of people, which, you know, I would say loosely fits under the banner of leadership, <laughs> you know, but then of course there are leaders, you know, there's leadership moments where, as you alluded to just a minute ago, there's something that needs to happen and it needs to happen now. And this is the way, you know, so mm-hmm. show, having that real clarity, I guess, of, of saying this, this is what we need to do. For example, during a global pandemic, um, you know, if, if everything changes, then it's good if a leader can sort of have at least a little bit of clarity to, 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 you know, convey that to, to a group of people. Um, the longer term stuff around, you know, coaching I think so and and, you know there's so many issues which come up now in leadership um, and the world (laughs) that to think that we do have all the answers so we could go and tell people what to do I think is a little um, misguided and perhaps arrogant to think that well I know exactly what we should do in all situations and I know what works best for you Shelley and so if you could just do things my way then everything will be sweet and you know the reality of that is that perhaps in the past you know that kind of command and control has kind of it's worked right it's because for, for a number of reasons but not least for the fact that you know most people um, were in jobs which were very hierarchical and 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 I'm going back a long time now right but you know people typically got a job at one company and kind of stayed there for a long time and maybe they work at two or three companies maybe but now and we're seeing this particularly with um, you know the, the new generation of workers that they're, they're not as interested in in that <laughs> you know they're, they're they're certainly more aware that you know if they've got a skill set if they've got talent, if they've got ability, then, um, you know, that they want to develop that. And they typically, they want to develop it for a bigger meaning and purpose rather than just, and again, big generalizations here, but, you know, bear with me. Um, you know, they typically want to do that over and above, well, how much do I get paid? That's important. Mm-hmm. That's important. So the coaching piece is really powerful because coaching is like, for me, the way I think of it, it's, it's, it's emotional intelligence in action. So if I'm working with you as a, in a coach-like way, you get the sense that I genuinely care, which is not something that a lot of workers feel about their leaders sometimes, you know? And what's interesting, of course, is leaders are often looking back at those people going, why don't they care about their job? Mm-hmm. You know, so leaders are looking at a group of people going, why don't they care about their job? Why don't they put as much hours in as me? Why don't they work on the weekend? Why don't they da 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 And Typically, those group of people are looking back at the leader saying, why don't you care about me? And, and there's this kind of a clash. Where, so I think coaching, um, when done well, it gives the space for real relationships to be, to be formed. So your employees, your team, they actually feel like you've got their back. Mm. as opposed to um, you're going to stab them in the back. Um, but it feels like that you, they've got your back. But on the flip side then, you know, by... By asking questions, so we, we talk about asking questions that you don't know the answer to. So in a coaching conversation, you're not asking questions like, so how are you going with those reports? Yeah. When you know those reports haven't been done, you know, yeah. or, um, you know, you know ha, ha, what are the numbers looking like this month? When they know that you know what their numbers are looking like, or even what can be quite interesting is when, you know, if and this can be a real challenge for leaders in, in the workplace, is when let's say you're my boss Shelley and you're coaching me and you say to me so Dan why do you do it that way you know why are you doing it that way in the back of my mind I'll immediately think why Shelley what what do you how should I be doing this 
you know, should I be, are you telling me I'm wrong? Is this your way of telling me I'm wrong? But if we can build a real culture of coaching, then we actually start asking questions that we genuinely don't know the answer to. And we're genuinely trying to um, challenge bias. We're trying to see things from a different point of view. And I, as the leader, I'm going to hold off on any advice um, unless it's like unless it's necessary, unless it's a, a, a moment where something needs to be addressed. In, you know, it's like a, a spot fire; it needs to be put out right now. But these longer-term things, like how you handle the disgruntled client, or how you um, might look at um, you know engaging someone who seems to be a little bit on the outer, it doesn't have to happen today, right? But it's something; it's a common theme. Or delegation. You know, it doesn't have to happen today, but it's a theme that keeps coming up over and over and over again. I could tell you how to delegate. I could tell you how to, what to say to the disgruntled client. I could tell you strategies that might bring that person in from the outer. The problem is you don't own that idea. And so what it's interesting thing is that we might try it. And we might see a little short term a short-term uptick, you know, we might appease that client. We might bring that person in slightly from the outer. You know, we might delegate a fraction better for a month, possibly. But then our old habits will kick back in and I'll have to have another conversation with you for you to remind, oh yeah, I was supposed to do that, wasn't I? Whereas the coaching conversation, I'm just going to hold off on all that advice and we're going to kick things around. I'm going to wait for you to come up with one, the insight that you need to delegate more. I'm not going to tell you you need to, but let's wait and see. I'm going to wait and see, you know, for the time that you say, yeah, you know what? Um, Sammy needs to be brought in a bit, you know, the great, great worker, but just doesn't seem to be connected with the team, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah, you know what? I've, I think I need to get on the phone with such and such and whatever. Wait for that. Okay. And then we start, so what, how are you going to address this? You know, what mm -hmm. are you going to come up with? Let's try some ideas and get as many ideas as you can right why don't you try that let's check let's check in at the end of the week see how you're going okay mm. yeah, let's check in not i'm not going to check up on you this isn't a compliance performance management thing you know because I, th I think coaching again it, it's it, sometimes sometimes like most things it gets weaponized so it's like you know yeah i'm going to performance manage you by coaching <laughs> you know i'm going to get so so shelly um you know, what, what numbers are you aiming for? You know, I'm aiming for X. Oh, well, what if you stretched yourself on a good day? Could you get more than X? Yeah, yeah, I could get Y. Okay, let's make Y your target, <laughs> right? And then at the end of the month, let's have a discussion as to why you've not reached Y. You, you know, and it's, and, and whereas, you know, authentic coaching, this is what we we're talking about before about that garden, you know, like yeah. the culture's got to be right. The environment, the, the, the relationships have to be, ideally you know opted into you know choose a coach ideally um mm. someone who's got the skill set someone where you've got that trusting relationship where mm. you you know that you can open up to them you can be vulnerable you know very few employees are going to walk into the boss and go you know what yeah i'm struggling i've got no idea what i'm doing here. i've been promoted beyond my level of competence you know very few people are going to say that to a leader unless yeah. they've you know, unless They've got phenomenal culture. And so how does a leader slow down? Like practically speaking, if someone was to read your book and then go, okay, I'm going to apply this stuff. Yeah. And then they get back to, you know, Monday, they start their day and it's just go, 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 go. There's just, it's unrelenting. It doesn't stop. 
Mm. It's just this constant flow of, of things. Yeah. How does a leader slow down enough in the moment to actually ask or even consider questions that they don't know the answer to, let alone ask mm. them? Yeah, I think like, so that, you know, that go, 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 I would argue is a, it's a, an artifact or it's a remnant of a, a lesser performing system, right? So somewhere along the line that, that something's going wrong, either on an individual level, you know, like you, you, your to-do list is really not effective uh, or useful, um, or perhaps there's other processes which mean you end up being some something of a bottleneck you know um i was chatting with someone yesterday where they were talking about the previous head honcho you know everything had to be signed off everything had to go through them there was no autonomy there was no uh you know devolving of 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 that and so i think first and foremost if you that in itself is an insight when you go i simply don't have time for this that in itself is an insight that goes okay so in my coaching lens I talk about creating insight creating intention and then creating the action so the insight is wow I don't have time for this okay do you want to do anything about that actually no I'm fine all right sweet I'm off right (laughs) you don't need coaching yeah you know one of the fundamental truths is people won't change unless they want to correct so so if you don't want to do anything about it if you just if you if you know if you're willing to continue in this fine come back to me when we're ready but let's assume that they go yeah I would like to do something about this then what is something we need to do and in the example you've given it's literally schedule some time so go into your calendar you know I'm not saying that that is the only answer but that's certainly one very obvious suggestion would be let's you need to schedule some time for this and you need to keep that appointment with yourself in the same way you would keep an appointment like you and I you wouldn't well you know I don't know you but I would I'm, not. Guessing, I'm guessing you wouldn't just brush it off with five minutes oh, I can't be asked trying to Dan today you know but we'll do that to ourselves mm-hmm. we'll go you know oh yeah two o'clock I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna I'm gonna work but then five to two comes along yeah oh, actually no I just need to keep on with this I just need to keep on with this report or I, I need to go and see that I need to attend to that I need to you know I need to sit watch Netflix whatever it is right <laughs> and we brush we brush this important because it is important because we've mm. gone through the insight and intention it wasn't just someone came to you and said carve out some time for thinking or carve out some time for this you've gone through this work so it's important to you mm. so you need to respect that you need to respect that appointment with yourself and this sounds very I appreciate this sounds very Instagrammy and very sort of (laughs) wishy-washy but you need to respect that appointment with yourself in the same way you would respect it for anybody else Hmm. Um, and that in itself is 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 the first thing and then it's about creating you know so the book's called the act of leadership but Hmm. my podcast and my programs are called the habits of leadership what do Hmm. you start doing so you said yeah you can read that on a weekend that's the act if you like but then the habits is what are we doing regularly and so for some people I work with it's as simple as having some um you know a post-it note on their um on on a laptop with you know something whatever it means to them so te- you know teachers have uh, there's one what's it it's wait why am i talking right so <laughs> you know and that's a that's not mine by any stretch that's something that i've seen a lot of but it's it's kind of like how do you encourage how do you encourage more classroom debate and you can mm. think about this in the boardroom right you know so wait just wait for them to start talking and if i start talking why am i 
And a lot of the time people are talking because they don't like silence. Mm. So they're just talking to fill the space. And, and if they feel that you think about it as parents talking to kids, you know, you know, you know, why did you do that? And I reckon no more than four seconds of silence before, because if you want my opinion, I don't think you should do that. I think you need to do this, you know, and parents just fill the space. So everyone does it. No one likes silence. So um, yeah, just having little cues. Like athletes I work with have cues on their, um, you know, on, on their wrist strapping words that we've worked with that are triggers, which mean something mm. that in, in a break in play or just before they take, you know, a, a pressure kick or whatever it might be, there's something which just brings them back and centers them on the process so if an if a process of coaching is something that's important mm. you know what are the triggers what are the reminders even on an email so when an email pops up what process do you have for responding or not responding to emails or mm. do you just fire them off as quick as you can because you've got the answer and it's mm. yeah we can get this moving um so yeah, yeah it's it, but the, the going back to your very first question thinking you don't have the time for this is in it's in itself an insight Mm. And creating the right, um, first of all, awareness and then conditions to um, succeed. Because I think sometimes we we go too big and we're like, oh, I'll do this and I'll start my day like that. And it's like, yeah. okay, how close is that to how you're currently starting your day? And, yeah. and you know, what's, um, what's the purpose of going there? Like, do you have a big enough motivator to to actually make that big leap or does it make more sense to go in incrementally? And yeah. I think that's what you're sort of referring to with the symbolism and um, just making small tweaks that over a period, a long period of time can make yeah. a huge difference. Absolutely. So we, you know, very simple activity, which as a coach, I'm sure you'll, you'll use, you know, is the score yourself out of 10 on your ability to delegate or as a parent to, um, you know, squeeze yourself out of 10 with your relationship with your teenage son, right? And um, you know, let's say you squeeze yourself a six out of 10. All right, we're not trying to get to 10. That's bloody miles away, you know? But what does six and a half look like? What yes. if, if you were to score yourself a six and a half at the end of the week, what would you have done or not done differently um, to do that? And, and it's this idea, like you say, of, of it's great to have these lofty ambitions of being whatever it is you want to be. But understanding that the most the most empowering thing is a sense of progress, mm. and and I think one of the most disempowering things is a sense of no progress. And when we try and set ourselves two bigger goals, for example, you know the 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 person who's not exercised for ten years all of a sudden is going to get back into it. I'm going to go running every morning, you know, five k run every morning for the first week. Well, of course they're not going to do that. Or I'm going to change my diet. Or I'm going to do this. And it's they get to the end of the week and they look back and go, oh, can't do it. And, mm -hmm. and they drop off. Whereas if they said, well, you know what? I might go for a walk this week because I've not done anything for 10 years. You know, so that idea of, um, I was just chatting with um, Holly Ransom, who's just written a great book called uh, The Leading Edge. And in her book, she talks about the idea of start small, but start. So it's, and you know, it's, a, it's, and it, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about here. It's, it's, you have to start, but make sure that it's an incremental step that gets mm. the, the movement going. And then as you go, typically you can, you know, week in, week out, those increments become somewhat either, as you say, the increments either become bigger or it's the compounding effect of those small increments, which lead up to um, a big change. So, yeah. yeah. For sure. Now, I have another question about um, something you wrote in your book. You said it really doesn't, um, sorry, you say it really does matter what others think of you. Yeah. 
share that with us because there's, I think I agree with both. It doesn't matter and it does matter. Yeah. I want your thoughts on it. Okay, cool. So, um, so we can have an argument. Fantastic. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) no, no. So, um, yeah, I mean, so the chapter's called Mum Was Wrong, right? And and it's called Mum Was Wrong because I'm referring back to, and as a parent myself, and actually just had a, had a conversation with my kids about this, literally in the past <laughs> couple of days, um, where I said, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other people think of you, right? You do, you know, you go for it if you want to go for it, right? So you, you go for that drama piece. You go for... You, you play the piano, even though people might think it's not good, whatever, it doesn't matter, you do it, right? Yeah. And of course that's true. Of course that's true. When it becomes problematic to hold on to this is when I'm faced with the boss who says, look, I don't really care what they think about me, I'm here to do a job. Without realizing that their ability to do their job is directly related to what they think about them, right? Yeah. And 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 that's, they'll say, you know, I, 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 I've got, I've actually got friends who have read the book and go, no, whoa, I'm not interested in any of that. You know, like, I don't want to build that kind of relationship. And then, you know, so over a couple of beers, when beers with friends was allowed, um, (laughs) you know, um, you know, I'd say, so what do you, how do you find them? Well, they don't seem to care much about their job or they don't, yeah, well, there's a, let me just lay one thing out for you, you know, sort of showing that they need, we need to have this awareness of what they think of us and we need to care. I'm not saying we need to be their friends, and I'm not saying that we need to, um, you know, know everything that's going on in their life or anything like that. What I'm saying is we need, to, we need to know how they experience us. Because there's a big difference between, between how we, there's often, I should say, there's often, not always, there's often though, a big difference between how we show up and also how we want to show up and how we actually show up. So, you know, often... I, if I ask someone, how do you show up in the workplace? It's an unfair question because they don't know what it's like to experience them. Mm. You, know, you you don't know what it's like to experience Shelley, right? Mm. I don't know what it's like to experience Dan. Yep. Um, so it's a bit of an unfair question. I can tell you how I want to show up. I want to show up X, Y, Z, right? So then finding out from people, mm. is that your experience of me? And how does that play out for you? Is, does, do you want more of that? Do you need less of that? Mm. That's really, really important mm. if we want people to do their job, you mm. know, and, and if they do their job well, then the leader is doing their job. Um, so, mm. yeah, so, and then that, that then sort of goes on with a, a bit of a journey around, because obviously businesses get this big, you know, that's why they do 360 um, feedbacks, but the chapter then goes on to sort of make a case against some of the more common approaches to 360s, because typically, I mean, and I've seen it myself, you know, they just don't really have the impact that, um, that, that companies are hoping for when they fork out the big dollars for them. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. I like um I like how you um you talk about um actually knowing how people or knowing what people think of you based on how you want to show up and what's the gap between that because it gives something to start with and I think feedback in that space is so so important. Mm. And you know you mentioned um 360s as being it's more than just an action like it's more than just that thing that you do it's a it's data that feeds into uh, opportunities that people could use for 
like a whole year, but we tend mm. to just go, okay, here you go, done, yeah. off we go. Um, and it loses it loses the impact. It it doesn't um it doesn't really respect the the process that people go to engage in that and it doesn't seem to have this continuous learning loop attached yeah. to it although it's all got their potential to absolutely and then and often often it's not very transparent so you know let's say that i'm doing you know you're, you're my boss and i've been asked to do a 360 on you and i put down whatever it is a lot of the time i don't know where this has come from yeah. You know, is this is this a is this a company wide thing? Has Shelley got a coach? Is this am I next? Is yes. this Shelley? Does Shelley know? It, you know, is it anonymous? Is it not anonymous? Um, because both of those send unsaid messages. Yeah. Um, you know, um, will this be held against me? I know it says you want my honest feedback. Really? Do you How really honest? though? Yeah. Do you really? <laughs> um, but but the one the the critical thing is where's this going to go? Mm. Right? Because if I, let's say I put something along the lines of, you know, um, in the, you know, uh, I've not had, I've not had um, any meaningful feedback from Shelley in the past 12 months. Let's just say I've put that right, uh, which I know wouldn't be the case, but let's pretend hypothetically <laughs> that that's the case. Right. Um, a lot of the time when the, the way that feedback then goes back to you, you know, the, the, the focus of that, what happens with that? You know, it, often it then becomes like a bit of a secret business and you might either discount it, you know, or you might try and figure, oh, it's, it's Dan, but he's a bit of a, you know, he's a bit arrogant, he's a bit cocky, you know, or or we've had a run-in in the past and we'll kind of brush, you know, how we'll brush off different feedback based on who we think gave it, you know, who's, whose opinion's more valuable, yeah. you know. Um, if the bot, if my boss gives me feedback, which is more around the importance of delegation, for example, my best bet is you're going to focus more effort on delegating than your effort on providing me meaningful feedback because mm. your boss has said this is what they want to see from you. So human nature says, well, okay, well, that's obviously weighted more. That's more important. Um, so as a result, 12 months down the track, I'm still sitting there and I get another 360 feedback thing and I, for someone else. I'm going, well, what's the point here? Nothing ever comes of it. Right, based based on my one experience with you, right? Nothing ever comes of it. So then the, the the my feedback to this becomes tarnished. It becomes less authentic. It either becomes just blasé because I think well it's not going anywhere, or it mm. becomes quite um, vitriolic because it's like well mm. I'm really going to prove my point now, you know. Mm. Um, and and that that's leaving aside the whole fact that a lot of the questions often. Um, so the question I asked you there was, um, you know, or you, I reflected on was in the past 12 months, have I got meaningful feedback from you? Often questions aren't necessarily asked like that. They'll ask things, you know, rate Shelley's ability to give meaningful feedback. <laughs> and that's a different question to what I've just asked, okay. because what I'll do if you do that is I'll base your ability to give feedback on my ability to give feedback. If I think you're better at giving feedback than I am, then I'll rate you higher. Yeah, you know, mm. if I think you're better than, you know, if, if I'm better than you, lower. And so it's not about you, it's more about me, mm. which is fascinating. And yet that, that perpetuated over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really interesting because, as you say, there's, there's great opportunities if people go into it with the right mindset and the right culture and, mm. and it's transparent. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, gosh, there's so much room for opening up conversation, deepening trust, um, learning 
learning how to ask really good questions. And I'm loving how you're reframing a lot of questions to go, well, the first question sounded okay until you reworded it. And I was like, well, that actually does make a big difference. It's got more power in it. And how do we, how do we just start to consider what questions we're asking and whether it is well-formed? Let me give you, well, so let's keep on this thing, right? So in the book, I talk about whose opinion is most important of you as a leader. Now, common sense is probably um, the, the boss, because if they think I'm a good leader, I'm going to get promoted again, and it's fantastic. But the real answer is you, the people you lead, right? That's the real answer. And they're the ones best placed to determine whether you grow as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. So if we think, right, okay, let's say that through the 360, it comes back that it's pretty clear that my team would like me to delegate better to them, right? They don't feel empowered. Um, and and that kind of mirrors a coaching session I had with you where you made me realize that I do take on too much. And so the, the ducks are starting to align. Option one is you and me talk about different ways to delegate. And then I go and try and use those ways um, with my team. That's option one. And it might work. Option two is... Why don't we go, go to my team and say, hey, I've noticed the real common theme here about needing to delegate. And that's really interesting because that's something I've been talking with my coach about. So many people don't realize their bosses have coaches, right? But, but that's something I've been talking with my coach about. And I'm really curious, what do you need from me in order for me, in order to feel like I'm delegating more to you, better to you? What does it look like, feel like, sound like to you? And so real life examples are things like, well, saying, you know, when you give me a deadline of Friday, I, I don't need a checkup on Wednesday to see how I'm going with it. Mm. I need you to know that when you tell me it needs to be done by Friday, I'll have it done by Friday. Because when I get that email on Wednesday, it kind of feels like micromanagement. I know you probably don't mean it, but it kind of feels like that. Mm. And the, the boss goes, okay, that's cool. So you're telling me I can send one less email. Fantastic. I've got a team of 10 people. That adds up quite quickly. Lovely. <laughs> okay, what's next? You know, and mm. and just really, you know, I need to know more about the why of w- what we're doing here. Okay, sweet. This is why it is, mm. you know. And, and, and starting to get that feel, you know, again, one of the chapters is around understanding what makes them tick. What makes mm. your team tick? Um, yeah. Rather than just trying to get them to sort of, fit into our view of how this group should work well yeah you know let's figure it out together absolutely yes yes there's so much there's so much opportunity I um I have one more question for you and it is what is the difference between a difficult conversation and an adult one for our listeners? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I like that one. Yeah. A difficult conversation comes about because we've not had adult ones. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> does, so that mean, diff- does that mean that we have been behaving like children or that there's been a parent-child relationship or is it a combination of two? Yeah, probably a combination of, of, every, of everything. Every little bit of playground behaviour, every little yeah. bit of you know, um, around the dinner table at Christmas time when somebody says something and you really want to sit, you really, like they've said something completely inappropriate, you know, but because it's, well, it's them and that's just who they are, we just keep it quiet because, you know, you don't want to ruin Christmas Day. That kind of, that kind of um, thing plays out everywhere all the time. And, and I make the case 
that just by calling, just by framing something as difficult means we're less likely to really go into it as authentically as we might. So if I'm thinking, you know, if I go home and go and, and say to my wife, you know, oh, I'm not looking forward to Monday, I've got to have a difficult conversation with Shelley, then my best bet is that that's going to end up being, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'm going to, I'm going to wake up at three o'clock in the morning trying to script the opening to then work out all the counter arguments you're going to make and make sure I've got the data to support my case. And, and what it could have been is that, well, I wonder when the first moment came up for me when I went, oh, I should probably speak to Shelley about that. Yeah. But I didn't. And I hoped, I hoped you would realise that whatever it was you were doing just isn't how we do things around here or someone else will pick her up on that I'm sure because I don't want to ruin the relationship like Shelly no. and I are good friends you know like we've got on really well and I don't want to I don't want to put that at risk you know perhaps and this is a classic for for middle leadership is perhaps you and I were teammates for the past six years yeah. and we get on really well and now literally in the course of two months I've been promoted and now I'm your boss and, you know, if I'm being honest, the thing I've got to pick you up on is something that I used to do as well. And you know I used to do it, <laughs> you know? And so it's really like, how hypocritical is this going to be now where I've got to have it? And so we start, you know, we start putting all uh, So we don't have an adult conversation about that where we sit down when it wasn't really that big an issue, It just, but it just festers. Mm. And, then other, and then other people start seeing. So this is the thing, right? Other people yeah. start seeing Shelley's getting away with that. Maybe it's because her and Dan are pretty good mates and he used to be a bit like that. And then they start resenting it. Yeah. And then, and, and so the difficult conversation becomes more, you know, just starts building and building and building. So I talk in there about, I reckon as often as possible, as often as appropriate, just checking in with the team around, well, what's acceptable, what's not, not acceptable? What are the norms? Um, and then holding people accountable to that with mm. really supportive language. Because the other issue is people will say to me, oh, I just don't like confrontation, Dan, never have. And it's like, well, what if we could have a conversation about something that we've accept we've all agreed to is the norm. We've mm. all agreed to that this is acceptable, this isn't acceptable. And what if we could have a conversation which isn't confrontational and doesn't damage the relationship? And um, in there, I, I uh, cite the work of uh, a chap called Jonathan Raymond, who mm. has created something called the accountability dial. And it's a, it's a beautifully simplistic, the, the, the beauty is in the simplicity yeah. of understanding, well, where am I on this dial? He talks about understanding how much heat you need to bring to a situation. So yeah. if I don't bring enough heat, you know, oh, Shelly, you know, like if you get a moment, you know, maybe you just want to go back over that, that mm. report because there was a few errors in it. If you get... No big deal, but if you get a chance, it'd be great if you could. Mm. There's not enough heat in that for you to realise that Dan wants me to sort that report out because it's sloppy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The other, But then the other one is I then don't say anything. I get it. <sighs> Shelly, seriously. So then I start correcting it because I can't send it to the client like that. Yeah. I get a bit of, bit of the shits with you, and then it happens again. And, and then so I go from there to off the chart Shelly we need to talk about this seriously quality of your work and and there was about two or three steps in between where maybe maybe it's slop because this isn't like your normal work maybe there's a drama at home maybe mm. yeah, maybe there's this maybe there's that and just by asking someone hey I've noticed you know you know we all agreed to these these this protocol these norms with the mm. reports I noticed that didn't happen in your last one is everything all right yeah that's it yes <laughs> is right? everything okay and, yeah and, 
and and that, that that I mean that's the start point. Is everything all right? Is everything okay? Um, because one, if everything's okay, then that is just the little nudge that you go, yeah, you know what? Sorry, Dan, I'm just mm. off it. Or it's the opening, say, actually, Dan, I'm dealing with some stuff. Yeah. And you know, that's mm. not to say the leader needs to be the psychologist, the priest, the, the parent, but I do need to be aware of things to the extent that it impacts your ability to be your best in my mm. team. And if there's things I can do to support you in that moment, that in the long, in the short term, it might be, oh, now I've got to do it. But in the long term, mm. when we're talking about effectiveness, we're going to have a much stronger connection as a result of that. I'm not acquiescing. I'm not lowering my standards, lowering my expectations. I'm just approaching something, an issue with common human decency. <laughs> You're adulting. Yeah. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. Yeah. And I think sometimes we've got to take a deep breath and, and actually step into that adult space. I think we can step into parenting so much easier than we can step into adulting. And I think, mm. yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah. Um, I remember one conversation that I had with um, a team when I did become a leader of my former peers. And the first mm. thing that I said was, this is awkward. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this is awkward. How do you want to deal with this? How would yeah. you like, you know, what does leadership look like? And it was a great, it was great. Cause it was just like, well, it is awkward. Cause you were our peer yesterday and today now yeah. you're the boss and yeah. Um, it was really nice to be able to have an adult conversation with other adults. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for um, answering my questions, sharing your thoughts. Um, the the Act of Leadership is a great book. Um, it, it is really simplistic. There's so much beneath that or behind that. And um, I think the habits are definitely where the gold is found. And so for people who want to access your podcast, um, yeah. I can share the link um, in the comments. And if anyone wants to connect with you, they can do that on LinkedIn. They can do that on LinkedIn or um, even if they just Google me, they'll find all manner of you know, websites, <laughs> danhasler.com, the books, The Acts of Leadership. It's pretty much everywhere. So, yeah, it's Excellent. Uh, not hard to find me. <laughs> not hard. But thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate your insights and I look forward to future conversations. Cheers. Thanks for your time, Shelley. Thanks for the opportunity. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back for another dynamic leader conversation soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.